0: Us, that you would appropriately challenge us but we pray mostly that jesus would be lifted up and exalted father i pray that you would uh give me clarity of thought that you would forgive my sins that you would use uh, these words for your purpose we pray together silently we pray in jesus name amen well, good morning Good to be with you. My name is Matt Kerber. I'm a pastor at uh, City Reformed here, and uh, we are dismissing our children for Children's Church. We're continuing uh, to read through a book of the Bible called Nehemiah. It follows the story of God's people after their return from exile in Babylon as they uh, begin uh, to restore the land, uh, in particular the city of Jerusalem. Um, This week we'll be reading uh, a longer section. We'll be focusing on the first half of it. But you'll notice similarities between the topic this week and the topic next week, so I wanted to read a little bit of a, a longer section so we recognize uh, the broader context of what we're dealing with. I'll read this uh, passage, and uh, then together we'll affirm that it's God's Word. Nehemiah chapter 4 and chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand, and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. And the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and on our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it for our other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself and brought these charges against the nobles and the officials. And in verse 14, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the uh, 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, twelve years neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of of the governor because the service was too heavy for this people. Remember for my good, O my God, all that I have done for this people. This is the word of the Lord. The scene that we encounter in Nehemiah chapter 4 is one of the most famous scenes in the book of Nehemiah. We might uh, think of it as the the scene that often shows up on on a picture, if we're thinking of what is in the book of Nehemiah, it's a picture of people that have to do more than one thing at the same time. Uh, many of you have to do this in your lives so you can instantly realize, you know what, there's, there's a, a lot of ways I could re- relate to Nehemiah. Uh, I have responsibilities that require me to think about more than one thing at the same time. And for that reason, I think the book is, is often uh, uh, emerged as, as one that people want to read and it's one where the, the pictures stay with us. In chapter four, we encounter a scene where uh, the builders are building in time of war. The enemies of Jerusalem have risen up around them. Um, they're threatened by the reemergence re-emer- of a strong leader in Jerusalem, and they don't want to see a city that can protect itself, that it is a force to be reckoned with. And so, in past chapters, we've seen this opposition to the work of uh, rebuilding the walls of the city. And as we read this section, we we encounter this sort of provocative image of the builders who are forced to both build and defend at the same time. And They are carrying a a building material in one hand and a weapon in the other. That image of the, perhaps we would say the sword and the the trowel or a hammer uh, is a picture of the calling God has to do more than one thing at the same time. But as we look at the uh, broader context, we recognize that uh, Nehemiah is focusing on a broad range of concerns in his book. He's concerned about the good of his people, the building of the city. And this includes not only concerns about the security of the city, the building of the walls, the protection in, uh, uh, from their enemies, but also the concerns of the people who live in the city. When we look ahead to chapter 5, Um, we see that there's a concern about uh, people eating enough or concerned about the the certain ways the the policies of economics are being handled that lead to some people being enslaved. So even beyond uh, building and defending at the same time, Nehemiah has a really broad range of concerns. Now, we come to the book of Nehemiah on the other side of the cross. The Christian church engages with Nehemiah as someone who, like us, is part of God's covenant of grace. The people of Israel, living under the leadership of Nehemiah at this time, living in Jerusalem, were living in God's gracious covenant. But some of the specifics of the covenant are different. And so are the ways we learn from it can be challenging. For instance, at this time, uh, the people of God is covenant people were both, uh, both a church and a state together. The city of Jerusalem was civil and religious at the same time. The promises God had for them covered not only their spiritual well-being, but it covered the geographic boundaries of the nation of Israel. On the other side of the cross, we live differently. Uh, we don't have, as a church, a physical geographic boundary of where the church is. In other words, in our setting, state and church are separated. Christians live in both, called to be faithful to both. And as we look back on this, it requires some thinking and some uh, careful interpretation. Generally, as we move through the book of, uh, of Nehemiah, we're thinking about the lessons we take for our spiritual building. We're thinking about what it means to be building God's kingdom, and this image of the, of the sword and the trowel has been used down through the ages as a picture of many things, challenging things a church has to do. You have to both build and defend at the same time. We do that with our words and with, uh, with our life. But there is, in the book of Nehemiah, very uh, real concerns for civil realities, As Christians we live in both spheres, we live in both realms, we are citizens of this kingdom. And it would be possible for us to move through the book of Nehemiah and essentially over-spiritualize it. What we'd like to do this week and next week is think about the ways in which the things that Nehemiah is doing informs our understanding of how we live with and serve our neighbors. What are the concerns we have for living in our society? In a sense we're talking about social concern now we recognize in the beginning that these are some of the most heated and difficult aspects of our modern life and uh, as a church we're committed to the idea that we are distinct from the state as a pastor I don't tell people how to vote we don't tell you what specific policies to affirm and we recognize the challenges that can come with being consumed by social or political concerns on the other hand there would be a danger that we engage these broad areas of our life and never ask the question what does God want me to do in this area we could begin to think that all of our social social concerns are apart from the realities of the gospel and that also would be a danger So we're going to enter into this this week and next week. This week we're going to deal with chapter 4 in particular and recognize the way in which Nehemiah is concerned for the security of his people. We're going to ask the questions, how do we share this concern? What sacrifices does that call uh, from us? How does Jesus empower us to care for the security of our neighbors? And finally, we'll just try to think a little bit uh, practically about ways we can carry this out even recognizing it's challenging. Um, Next week we'll turn and we'll look at more at chapter 5 and we'll think about this concern for the justice of God's people as they live together in Jerusalem. All of this we'll attempt to do through the lens of the cross. Uh, So first and foremost, what is it we learn as we look at this passage when we think about Nehemiah's concern for security? Again, we can spiritualize this, and it's appropriate that we do so. We are concerned for the spiritual well-being of those that are around us. We see in the message of the gospel a message that tells us about how to have an eternal security as we are right with God and have a life that extends into eternity through Jesus. But we don't want to lose sight of what Nehemiah is actually doing. He's actually building something. The story of Nehemiah is a story that follows his movement from the heart of the uh, Persian Empire, empire to the city of Jerusalem. It's a movement that calls himself to be placed in a position of risk for the good of his neighbors. The story of Nehemiah is a story where Nehemiah shows concern for the security of his neighbors. You may remember, if you've been following with us throughout the book, that in the beginning of the, of the book, the whole story is moved forward by a report that Nehemiah hears from a brother who comes from Jerusalem. Nehemiah is a, in a position of political power. He's Jewish, but he's living in the Persian Empire. He's risen to a place of power. He is the cupbearer of the king, which means he's, it's his job to make sure the king doesn't get poisoned. Uh, But it also is a place of power and influence. Nehemiah learns at the beginning of this this book uh, that the city walls of Jerusalem have not been rebuilt, and his people are living in a place of vulnerability. Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he learns, "...the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire." And Nehemiah wrote, As I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This prayer and fasting and seeking God leads him to a place where he has an opportunity to speak to the king. The king gives him permission and authority and also resources. Nehemiah is appointed as governor. He returns to the city and begins to rebuild the walls of the city. What he is seeking here is the security of his people. But what we want to notice as we look at the story is that for Nehemiah, it was a costly endeavor. Nehemiah started the story in a position of power and influence in the city, uh, in the city of Susa, which is the winter capital of the Persian Empire. His concern for the well-being of his people leads him on the long and difficult journey back to Jerusalem, and when he arrives there, His every move is one where he is put at risk. Nehemiah moves back to be with his people because he's concerned for them. This is the first thing we want to consider as we look at this passage. He's concerned for the security of his people. Now, if we were to stand up and say that Christians should be thoughtful about issues of security, it would be true. Uh, and Everyone in our culture would agree with us. In fact, you hear no end of advertisements telling you how you might keep your home secure, how you could buy a new security system or have financial security, online security, and so on and so forth. But the message that emerges in the book of Nehemiah, as we think about it from Nehemiah's perspective, is he's not only concerned about security, he's concerned about his neighbor's security. Nehemiah was quite secure at the beginning of the story. Nehemiah was in a place where he wasn't threatened at all. In fact, he was probably in the safest place in the world. Except for the reality of someone trying to poison the king, Nehemiah was in the court of the greatest military power on earth. Nehemiah's concern for his people moved him to a place of great risk to himself. The second thing we look at as we think about this passage is not only is Nehemiah concerned with the security of others, but this security calls for sacrifice for him. It's one of the the more notable features of this passage, isn't it? We read that Nehemiah, though he's a governor and would be called upon to make all sorts of policies for security and he would lead the people and he would do any number of things to make sure their city was more secure... For Nehemiah this comes with personal involvement, personal engagement and even personal risk. Look with me at verse 23, Nehemiah speaks of a situation, Remember, if you remember from past weeks where the, the neighboring groups of people have risen up against them, they've been threatening them and even gathering an army. As the leader of this civil authority it's the role of Nehemiah to defend his people. He does this by rallying the people together, but he does it by placing himself specifically in harm's way. Verse 23 says, so neither I nor my brothers, and so on and so forth, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. And so the people in this time of great need, they're they're building and they're defending and they are urged to stay in the city at night to defend the project. And when Nehemiah talks about it, he doesn't exempt himself. If there's anyone who could have been exempted, it would have been the governor. Right? After all, if you lose the governor, he would be in great peril. And yet Nehemiah is here sleeping in his clothes, working with the others, placing himself in a position of risk and vulnerability at great sacrifice because he is concerned about the security of his neighbors. And he bears this security as a burden on himself. I think it's this aspect of our discussion of security that is most notably overlapped with Christian faith. Again, it may be legitimate to talk about how to to think about your own security, but it's when we see that we bear upon ourselves the burden of our neighbor's security that we begin to see an inroad and an avenue into the gospel. Jesus himself told us that all leadership, all Christian leadership is costly and sacrificial. Groups of people thrive when we have effective leaders that are willing to bear upon themselves the burdens of others. Jesus said, it's the the rulers of the Gentiles among you lord their power over others. They see power as an opportunity to protect themselves, feather their own nest, and move away from difficulty. But Nehemiah here portrays this sort of gospel leadership that Jesus himself spoke of, a leadership that moves towards others, placing oneself in risk, sacrificing for the good of others. As we glance ahead to next week, we'll see that Nehemiah did this not only with his physical safety, but with his material resources. Again, one of the notable features of the passage is when there was a time of famine and poverty and great need, Nehemiah refused to take his share but actually used the resources he had for others. Nehemiah shows us what it means to love our neighbors. We see that our call is to be concerned for their security and secondly, that security involves sacrifice. But third, we recognize this is a place of great gospel connection as we think about the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ we recognize that Jesus modeled for us what he taught that true leadership means giving oneself for the good of others the third thing we see is our gospel entry point Paul in his letter to the Philippians calls the people of the Philippian church to model after Jesus self sacrificial love based on the self-giving love of Jesus. Philippians 2 5-8 says, have this mind among yourself which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Jesus cared for us. He sought our good and our well being. He purchased for us an eternal security, a forgiveness of sins. That means in the final judgment we will not be condemned but will have eternal life because we are connected to Him by faith. The very real future judgment of God, which is both physical and spiritual. Jesus bore upon himself on the cross. At great cost, he bought for his people a security that is eternal. Paul said to the Philippians that we should have this mind among ourselves, that we should be concerned about the good and the well-being of others around us. That means we engage now in the world that we live in with concern and love for our neighbor, concern for their good, And even a sacrificial concern for their security. Another way to think about it is this. We are people who give witness to Jesus. Part of that witness, the, the center hope of that witness is people would come to see that Jesus is the one who took the judgment of God on their behalf, that they could have the hope of eternal life. Not condemnation, but the entrance into eternal life our witness to that eternal security is often played out in the here and now. Doesn't it, uh, doesn't it uh, reflect Paul's command that as we have this mind among ourselves, we are concerned not only for the spiritual security, but the physical security of those around us? Another way to put it is this. Will our neighbors believe us when we tell them we're concerned about their spiritual well-being if we have no concern for their physical well-being in the bible these two things go together the reason we're drawing out this issue of physical security is it is an aspect of the passage of the text of the book that's what nehemiah is doing we don't want to lose sight of that we apply it in many many different ways but it's appropriate that we stand before that reality and ask the question how is this meant to shape and to change me How am I concerned for social concerns around me? How do I bear upon myself sacrificially the security of my neighbor? I was wrestling with these things a number of years ago that led me to do some things that were at times uncomfortable. I live in a neighborhood not far from the city and it was a neighborhood where there was growing violence over a period of time. It appears in hindsight that it was a a group of teenage kids causing a lot of uh, vandalism and some home break-ins, and uh, over time the situation was alleviated, but there was great concern in my neighborhood. I went to a uh, a community meeting as people talked about their concerns about uh, uh, damage to their property and people even being concerned about their physical welfare. Many of the people that were there were older. They're the people who most often are aware of these things. And as I looked around, as the mothers and grandmothers, the people that lived in my community, God impressed upon my heart that I have a calling to be concerned about their good. It's not enough that we simply share a spiritual platitude, but we ask the question, what is an appropriate way to engage in a place where my neighbors are physically threatened? Our particular community had the ability to work with the police in a community block watch program. And as I thought through my responsibilities as a husband, as a father, as a Christian, I concluded my responsibility was to be walking on the streets. Again, in partnership with the police at times, with uh, one of the off-duty policemen would walk with us and phone things in appropriately. We weren't trying to be vigilantes. But we were committed to being engaged it wasn't always comfortable and it wasn't always easy but it's here in our engagement with our neighbors that we have the opportunity to show that we stand with them we care about them and we are for them and if we fail to meet them in these very basic areas our witness to the lordship of jesus will ring hollow so what does this look like for us Well, where the rubber hits the road are often some of the hardest places to talk about, aren't they? We live in a day and age where great hostility and great divergence emerges around the issues of social concern. And and, uh, again, as as a church, we recognize that our place is not to get you to vote a certain way. It's not our place to push certain policies. But we can't shy away entirely from the reality that God calls us to love our neighbors in this area. Again, as we step back and look at Nehemiah, one of the things that's intriguing to me is that the book of Nehemiah presents a wide range of social concerns. Nehemiah is concerned here about the security of others, even when it's a costly involvement. But he's also concerned that the people around him have enough to eat. And he bears upon himself the concern and the sacrifice to make sure this happens as we think about the uh, areas of conflict today often they're areas around competing views of how we best address social concerns are they not and while Christians may have legitimate differences of opinion about how to vote or what particular policies to find or what solutions are best we should be agreed that these are concerns and things that God speaks to we would recognize that sometimes it's easier to grasp a few of these issues than all of them. It's easier perhaps to see yourself as a people of security in favor of law and order, but to lose sight of the biblical calling to be concerned that your neighbors have enough to eat. Or perhaps it's uh, easy to be concerned about issues of justice in a way that completely dismiss biblical and appropriate demands for law, order, and security. These are not easy things for us to balance, and I don't pretend to have all the solutions. But let's just follow the thread a little bit further and think, ways, think of ways God may be calling us and this week, calling us particularly to think about the security of our neighbor and to bear that burden upon ourselves. Well, the Bible tells us that God has given the state the sword and called them to ensure the physical security of those that are around them. In the reform tradition, we believe it's appropriate and lawful for Christians to engage in this sort of thing on behalf of the state. In other words, Christians could be soldiers or police officers. They could be involved in actual security in a lot of different ways. Now, the, the details of any a particular war and the challenges of police security that are appropriate and accountable and just and equitable, these are real challenges. We've seen them in many ways but we're reminded that sometimes the call of Christian service means literally putting oneself in the way of harm for the good of others. It's appropriate we think of this on Memorial Day weekend. Now, Christians may divide on the uh, ethical and moral implications of a particular war, but it's appropriate we remember that those called to war are standing on behalf of others often, putting themselves very literally in harm's way over the years members of our church have sometimes gone into military service and there's a really sobering and humbling reminder when I get a phone call that goes something like this pastor Matt I have to check a a, a part of my uh, 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 papers that indicates that you would be willing to do my funeral an interesting aspect of military service and it's a sobering and humbling reminder for me that some people put themselves in harm's way more than others at certain times. It's appropriate we remember that even as we grapple with the very difficult questions of what makes certain engagements ethical, just, or necessary. In the same manner, many of you are called in your own particular uh, vocations in your work to be concerned with the security of others in smaller ways. If you're a teacher, you pursue a secure classroom. If you're a public health inspector, you secure clean air. You seek the security of clean air, clean water, uh, or uh, safe factories and safe working conditions these are good and legitimate ways for us to pursue the security of our neighbors and we seek as a city to listen to those around us that believe they're not getting the secure and just equitable treatment that they need and you're committed to prayerfully, uh carefully and thoughtfully pursuing the ways that help have a better flourishing and just society we do it in our vocations we also do this in our families Often it requires attention and a sacrifice. We desire for our families to be places of security for our children, but we also are called to be a refuge. We are called to have homes and families where those around us can enter in and find refuge from the harms that they face. This often can require really hard judgment calls and difficult tensions. Uh, My father grew up in a home who was where they were committed to really radical hospitality. Uh, His mother was Hungarian, and after the Hungarian Revolution, the family opened their doors to provide refuge to refugees from uh, that particular conflict. It's a costly way to ensure the uh, security of others. It inconveniences our families and can sometimes uh, even bring us into a place of hopefully reasonable risk. We are concerned with the good and the health of families around us. One of the hottest and most difficult uh, social issues of our time are the modern political debates about abortion. I recognize in a a setting this large, there could be strong and and different opinions, but we recognize also that God has spoken on these things. Christians affirm pro-life positions because we believe in the security of all life around us that there is dignity and value even before a person is born. But Christians also are called to recognize that this places a burden upon us to care for our neighbors. Being pro-life is more than just policies, but it means coming alongside people in difficult situations and, and seeking to help those in need. As a church, we've been committed to supporting ministries that aid abortion vulnerable women. Many of our families out of their pro-life commitment have opened their homes in foster care and adoption. And as a congregation, we seek to come alongside them as they seek the flourishing of life around them. And yet we do none of this without sacrifice and cost. It's easy for us to stand at a distance and tell others what to do, but the biblical calling is to enter in speaking for truth but being willing to bear burdens even in ways that are costly third and finally we think about how we do this as a church we do it in vocation we do it in families we do it as a church as a church we recognize massive failures over the years churches have failed to uh, care for some of the most vulnerable among them and with uh, great shame and humility, we, rep- we recognize that some who have claimed the name of Jesus have not only failed to protect the most vulnerable among them, but in some cases they have aided and abetted that process by failing to bring accountability uh, to those who are perpetrators of abuse. As a church, we are committed to caring for our children. Uh, We're committed uh, to pursuing a culture as a church in which uh, abuse in all forms is not allowable, not acceptable, in which we are caring for those in need. As a church, we also think about our concern for neighbors of our particular uh, institution. We not only have particular neighbors as individuals, but living in the city, we have neighbors, neighbors throughout the city, often facing difficult circumstances. This past year, after uh, the, uh, the terrible tragedy at the Tree of Life in Squirrel Hill, members of our congregation came alongside a, a Jewish school we had a relationship with and raised money for their security. This is not a public relations endeavor, it's an application of what we believe. The, the security of our neighbor is our burden, even when it's costly. And throughout the summer, we'll participate in a partnership ministry with uh, Bethany Baptist Church in one of the more difficult neighborhoods in, in, in the city. Homewood is a, a neighborhood racked by violence uh, with uh, deep social problems. But these two are our neighbors, our friends, and our brothers. We have much to learn, and we have responsibilities. It's often easier for us to stay at a distance and think only of that which is most immediate. But as people who are called to enter in, to have the mind of Christ as we move forward, that means sometimes going places that are hard and doing things that are difficult. The good news of the gospel is that as we follow Jesus, he promises to be with us. Bearing burdens makes us dependent. Affirming the security and dignity of others can make us unpopular. Sometimes saying and doing things that are hard. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus goes before us. We have his mind as we enter into the love and care of our neighbor. We see his power as we accept burdens and even risk upon ourselves in the name of love. Which is, after all, the biblical name of what we're talking about. In, his, uh, in the gospel of John, as Jesus speaks with his disciples on his last night with them, The night in which he is prepared to go out and put his life on the line for sinners like you and me, he said to his disciples, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he told us how costly it would be, costly for us, more costly for him. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Friends, you have been loved sacrificially. If you have put your trust in Jesus, if you've forsaken your own uh, control of your life and stand before Him as Savior and Lord, you have been loved deeply and fully and sacrificially. Jesus did not consider His position and standing in heaven a thing to grasp hold of, but instead He laid it down for people like me and you and He promises to be with us As we follow him in a life of care for our neighbor. Let's close in prayer.